And I love it when God does fun things. So, uh, Andrew Koenig, where are you? There he is. We're going to get Andrew up and just tell us a story. This is an unbelievable story. <laughs> unbelievable. <laughs> yes. Um, just trying to fill you in on a little bit of background. Uh, we're in the process of trying to sell our home and, uh, and has been for quite a while. Um, it means, though, that uh, that's a fairly emotional kind of thing to go through, but also means that we have to keep the place really tidy and, you know, looking as if it's not even lived in and all that kind of thing. And so it means going to the dump fairly often. I just want to tell you a story. Last um, Friday week ago, we have a fairly big trailer and we filled it up with, um, uh, with green waste. And so we had to take that to the Howard Springs dump around here. Um, and when you take a trailer load of green waste to the dump, just for those that, of you who don't know, you have to unload your trailer near the big pile of stuff. And then a tractor comes along and pushes it all into the, into the pile for you. Anyway, Lynn and I, faithful Lynn, and I went to the dump and we left home and it was not raining. Anyway, we got to Howard Springs and just like yesterday afternoon, you know, it was bucketing rain. And we um, went into the dump. The lady at the dump said, perhaps um, you could just sit in your car for this shower to pass for a while. And we could see it wasn't going to pass. She gave us a couple of lollipops so we could eat them while we sat in the car. Anyway, and we, um, anyway, we went up to the, to the uh, pile of green waste and <clears throat> started... Uh, trying to unload it and it didn't unload as well as we'd like you know I had it all worked out we'd just pull the bottom ones out and all would come out well it didn't happen so Lynn and I had to work for quite a while in the rain and uh, and we got sopping wet really really wet and uh, eventually we got it all off and we were so wet um, Lynn drove the car forward a little bit when I was dragging the last bit off and we uh, Oh, we were so wet, and I put my hand up, and all the water ran out of my gloves. It felt a bit like a, bit like a, uh, bit of a stick or something had gone in my hand as well. So I, I rang my gloves out, and then jumped in the car, and went home. Um, <clears throat> anyway, about three hours later, oh, this is about half past three in the afternoon. So, you know, about half past six, I was sitting watching TV, and I felt my hand. Oh, no, my wedding ring has gone. 53 years of marriage, yes, and my wedding ring has gone. Oh, no, I wonder. So that was an awful feeling, absolutely awful. And uh, we both felt quite discouraged about all that, you know. And um, so I went, oh, I wonder if it's in my gloves. So I went around there and found my gloves. No, it wasn't in there. I wonder if it came off when I was in the car because I was so wet. My finger, my ring's fairly big, and anyway, and it wasn't in the car, we looked everywhere, and then I looked up to see what time the dump was going to be open, and, uh, and at seven in the morning. So that night, actually I didn't sleep all that well, um, but I did, did pray a lot, and actually during the night, oh, Lynn was praying too, it's great, during the night I had this vision of my ring sitting on a mound of dry ground. Anyway, 
don't be silly, when we were at the dump, it was a wash. It was all water everywhere, you know. Anyway, so I was at the dump at five to seven in the morning and uh, told the lady about what was going on and she said, oh, give me your name and number. If, if anyone finds it, we'll let you know. But I'll just, you know, just come and have a look. Lynn said, make sure you take a rake so you can rake through all the puddles and everything else. Anyway, I got there and I back, went into where I, pretty close to where we thought we were. And then, um, no, couldn't find it. And a guy came up, emptied a, load of tr emptied a load of stuff as well. And he said, have you found your ring yet? Ha, ha, ha. You know, anyway. And uh, no. And, um, and he, he made sure he didn't park where I was. So... Uh, <coughs> Anyway, and then I remembered that dream I had. And it was really surprising. The ground was really quite dry, except for a, a few little puzzles, uh, puddles, puddles. Anyway, I looked and, there, and looked on around the dry ground. And just over a little bit further, guess what was sitting there? <laughs> My ring. I could not believe it. I rang Lynn, praise God, praise God. I was excited. It was so, <laughs> it was just amazing, you know. And Lynn had been home, of course, praying like mad the whole time. And so we just thanked God so much. I went around and told the people in the office, and by that time the, the um, tractor driver was there. And he said, I remember you guys there. You were pulling all this stuff out in the rain. You know, and since then, we've had three more loads of stuff come and I've been there and I've pushed it all up and all up. And there was my ring still sitting on this dry ground, not even pushed into the ground at all. It could have been, oh, mm. praise God. <laughs> it was great. <laughs> and so we had, uh, yeah, we've had lots of, lots of uh, Bible readings and all kinds of things that have just, just acknowledged that, uh, you know, we serve this amazing... He doesn't really have to just does, you know, and I've had similar things happen to me, like what, <laughs> mainly my wallet, left in all sorts of places, trolleys at Karama and everywhere. Now, nothing stays in a trolley at Karama, we understand that, but got it back. <laughs> it's pretty good. Um, yeah, amazing. So this morning we're just continuing on with our look at Malachi, and um, what I wanted to look at today, so last week we looked at offerings and you know, how we can bring the offering, but we do it in such a bad way. You know, we've either got a tainted heart um, or we're just fulfilling an obligation, just bringing, you know, the worst that we've got. Um, we might even be, you know, talking against God by the way we act and live. And, you know, it, it's sort of like as God speaking in those, those passages last week, it's really like the, the complaints of God against the people. Guys... The temple's open up again. How about you actually worship properly? And worshiping properly wasn't doing the right thing. It was actually having your heart in the right place with what you were doing. And we looked at that in terms of all those things, including um, yeah, bringing the tithe in, which we're going to look at a little bit more today in that whole thing. You know? and, and if you remember, I said, guys, some people shouldn't be tithing. You just don't have the money. Others, maybe there's more than that because we're under this new dispensation where you know, really everything belongs to God and we'll be talking about that again as well. 
But what I wanted to look at today is, is two things. Um, one is the, the burden of the Lord. So if you, if you looked at the uh, passage that we're reading in Malachi, the actual whole book starts off with, this is the burden of the Lord. And the first verse actually says, um, I have loved you. That's pretty good, isn't it? I have loved you after that. The first, the burden of one is, I loved you. In other words, the whole book is written around this whole idea that God loves us. Everything that you're about to hear in, in this message from Malachi to you as a nation is actually saying, God loves you. And it's funny how sometimes we don't think that, you know, harsh words are actually very loving. I'm, I'm pretty sure that when I was a kid... Well, I know for sure, actually, when I was a kid, sometimes i get in trouble. And I was convinced that mum and dad obviously didn't love me, right? Because they corrected me. And that is unthinkable, <laughs> you know, that, that um, a person who loves me would actually correct me. And, and I'd sort of sometimes think, you know, how you get that sort of pouty, sooky, you know, thing. No one loves me. Everyone hates me. Well, I don't know if you guys ever got that. Maybe you're all so wonderfully balanced. <laughs> but, but for me, I was very much like, you know, how could that possibly be that someone who loves me could tell me off? Or, you know, discipline me in appropriate ways. I couldn't understand it. But as you grow up, you begin to understand that, you know, the, the rules of this world, not all of them are great, but, you know, mostly the whole purpose of what, mum and dad do when they're disciplining you is to actually bring you into righteousness if if it's done in the right way now we understand we're not talking abuse right we're talking proper discipline that that we have that 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 discipline actually leads us into a right path the right way of living the right way of acting the right way of um, working with god and he starts out i've loved you and remember their response was in what way have we loved you? Have, have you loved us? And, and God pointed out, this is how I've done it. And, and remembering that this is in a, in a time when they're actually neglecting him. Um, and he was warning them because he loved them. And sometimes the things that God says are hard and sometimes they're tender. As God speaks to us, they're, they're, sometimes there's these times when he has to actually say, guys, you need to get your act together. And other times when he says, you're doing really well, you're hurting let me come alongside you because that's what you need right now. And God was like saying, you need to turn to honour me and fear me and glorify me in this earth. Now, what does that mean? Um, it, God is at all times seeking his glory. That is a true statement. But what do we mean by glory? Is God looking for people to tickle his ego? Is he looking for people that can say, God, you are awesome and he's feeling a little bit down in his self-esteem right today in heaven and, and he's needing people to show that, no, actually, God, you're really good so that he can feel better about himself. Never. Never does God ever feel that he is not enough, that he hasn't got enough because God is perfect. God is love. God is the beginning of all things. He's the end of all things. God is everything. And so how is then God glorified? We hear this message, the tenderness of God through everything, that, that he loves us. He loves us. God loves us. We know that as Christians, God loved us so much, he sent Jesus. But this is how God is glorified, by his people recognising the purpose of love 
from him and for him. That when his people actually recognise the love that God has for them and, and enter into the relationship with him, understanding that love, that is how God is glorified. That when each individual here recognises the love of God towards them and on their lives, that is actually starting to glorify God. Because what happens is it opens up this, this something inside of our heart that actually begins to honour and also to fear God. And it begins to help us realise the whole purpose of why we are here. The first purpose that I remember Rick Warren used to say in his book, well, he still says it in his book, I guess, but it was written a long time ago. The first purpose that you are here for is to be loved. That's it. Why God created human beings was so he could love them. It is as though he wanted to just pour out every part of himself towards human beings and show them just how good he was. He is an infinite God and we can never understand that love. We can never fully understand it in our finite nature. But, but this is the truth that God loves us despite what we are acting like, who we are, um, where we come from, all those sorts of things is irrelevant to the love of God being poured out towards us. Think of the Israelites when they were walking through the desert after they'd come out of Egypt and, and they were complaining, they were murmuring, they were, they were you know, doing the wrong things against God. They didn't really honour him with anything. In fact, when Moses was getting those tablets where God was writing his laws, they were down having a big party making a mockery of it, building an idol, saying this, this idol here, he, it saved us from, the desert, from, from Egypt, that golden calf. And even in all of that, God loved them through it. He provided protection at night. He met them in the morning and led them and guided them through the desert. He gave them food and drink and looked after them all that time, even though the state of their heart was not really towards him. And we see the same with the people that Malachi is talking about, that, that as we've already talked about, the attitude towards God was actually so awful and they were not careful towards God. But they were doing everything out of obligation, out of habit, out of habitual doing so. And so God could have, I guess, just written them off. If you were God, what would you do? If you were God today, what would you do? No doubt, most of us, if we're not living in that love of God in the fullness of it, which I guess we never all are, there would be times when we would just wipe everyone out and not care about them, but yet still God loved through all of this. And as we think about this in this book of Malachi, we have to remember that, that everything here is from this progression of love of God towards us everything and so that that is the burden that is given by God I want you to know that I love you and sometimes love is hard because it tells the truth and we need to remember that that sometimes we just need that message that says you are not listening you need to turn around because if you go in this right way as we're going about to go into you will walk into a pleasant land so let's go from that key burden to the special call. And what we're going to do, we're going to look at three verses here and we're going to have four notes on those verses and, 
And this is the, the call back to the heart of what God wants. In fact, if you listen to this in the right way, the right spirit today, you will understand exactly what God is saying and how he's saying it. Remembering this from the call that God has of love to love so that we can love, this is where this comes from. Imagine the opportunity that you have here today, which is, is available to you, but especially available to the people that he was talking to, that perhaps you could open the windows of heaven, that God could pour down a blessing. Can you imagine what, what that would actually really look like in the fullness of how it's meant to be? That, that in this, this, uh, these four points here that we're going to do, one is the call of God, number two, the challenge, number three, the promise, and number four, the result, God is inviting you into a higher life of blessing. So I want you to listen very carefully because this could be a key for you. So there's, a, there's number one, the call of God. Malachi 3.10, bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Number one, the call of God. Number two, the challenge. Malachi 3.10 again, and try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. In other words, he's saying, I want you to prove me here. Prove that I'm not lying. Number three, the promise. Malachi 3.10, if, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will not be enough room to receive it, and I will rebuke the devourer for your sake so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground, nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field, says the Lord of hosts. And number four, the result. And all nations will call you blessed, Malachi 3.12, for you will be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. So consider as God's giving this message right now in these verses here, the state of rebelliousness in the heart of the people that he was talking to. These were people that were properly satisfied with everything that they did. They, they were like, as we said, you know, well, what do you mean, God? You're saying these things, but what do you mean? That's not true. We're, we're fulfilling everything that we've been asked to fulfill. But, but God was challenging that you really aren't. And this is what we want to look at in, in this side of things. Now, there was two sides between that covenant, between God and the nation of Israel. And for that covenant to be met, it meant that there had to be obedience on, on the side of Israel. And they weren't keeping it. They were like breaking that covenant all over the place, not living how God wanted them to, not understanding what true worship was. But yet by grace, God is starting to call them back to obedience. And how does he do that? He says, bring all the tithes, bring all of them, bring them all in. And so we go, well, is that like for them, was this the law God had, had set the one-tenth of the, to bring in, but did God really want that for himself? You think about it. Again, just as I said before, is God looking for us to boost his ego? No, he's complete. Does God need one-tenth of our income to survive? Is he up in heaven going, you know what, if they don't give a tenth today, Jesus, our, you know, we're in danger of losing heaven, we won't be able to pay anyone for it and we might have to shut the gates of heaven. Not at all. What is God really talking about when he says that? Go back to the first thing, that God 
loved them. And in that loving them, the, the nation of Israel, it wasn't like, I love you now. It was like, I have loved you as well. I have loved you. I love you now. And I will continue to love you. That, that word love that he is talking about is that this isn't a one-off thing that, you know, once I showed my love, but no, it's like, I have loved you. I am loving you and I will love you. I'll continue to love you regardless of anything. But what he's saying, no, you're not understanding what I am asking for in the tithe. The actual real thing that I want in the tithe is to make it valuable for this reason because it recognises that you have a love for me. That when you bring that in, it is not out of that whole obligation, but, but for me, for God, it is this recognition that you know about my love. You have now understood that I love you and from that there's this love gift to me. That is the point of it. And the only force strong enough, God knew about it, the only force strong enough because he says, come, to, come back to me is part of what it was. The only force strong enough to actually provide the tithe is the consciousness of that first word of Malachi. I have loved you. You see, everything else will see it just fall by the wayside. If these people that God was talking to forgot that God loved them, then they would soon forget to bring the tithe. There's no doubt about it. But what God wants to see is this, the service of love that responds to his love. And you'll note that the word says there, bring the whole tithe, and that's probably better than all the tithe. If you think about it, the whole tithe and all the tithe, what does that mean? When you think about all the tithe, you can easily break it down into a mathematical equation, right? It's like, you know, I've got 100 of this, I'll bring 10 in, that's the tithe, and that's, you know, that's all the tithe, that's all of it. But what he's looking for is the whole tithe, which is this, that of a response of love. And we can have this correctness in terms of, you know, the amount, but God is saying, no, bring the whole tithe and bring it at once. Bring it now, bring it back into the storehouse and for the reasons that we're about to go into very, very shortly. But it's this offspring of his love for us and it's the power of love working to create in us a heart that understands that love. As I was thinking about this, I remember the, the story of Jesus and he healed 10 lepers. I don't know if you guys remember that. But in the Bible it talks about it, 10 guys with leprosy come, he healed them. They wandered away. One came back to Jesus and said, basically, thanks. <laughs> he said, thanks for healing me. I recognise what you've done. Jesus' words to him were this. Your faith has made you whole. It's an interesting word, isn't it? Because the guy came back already healed. But it was after the discussion, Jesus said, your faith has made you whole. What does that mean? It means the others had experienced Christ's power in the fact that they were healed, so none of them, no, no understanding of what had happened, but this one knew about Christ. He knew actually that the love of Christ was what healed him. He came back and Jesus said, there's a difference between healing and wholeness. Healing is a physical thing, but inside of you there is an understanding of who God is. And I believe that is sort of what God is saying here. 
You know, don't just bring all the tithe. Don't, don't set in your mind, this is what I'm bringing, but bring the whole tithe. That the whole tithe is not a measure of the amount or even the percentage of income that, that these guys were bringing in. The whole tithe was this, is this a response of love? That's the whole tithe. The response of love as to why we're giving. Secondly, the, the, chale- um, the, the, uh, the challenge, yeah. It's simply this, and we don't really need to go into it anymore. Actually, you could probably bring up that slide again, Joe. The second one, which is prove me. The challenge. Try me. Try me now, says the Lord of hosts. I want you to listen first of all. This is the covenant that we had. Do you understand? I'm not actually looking for a certain amount, as we looked at last week. I'm looking for a response of love. But now here's something very important that I want you to listen to as we link this to the next verses. Prove me. I'm going to show you what this will actually bring. If you are bringing in your tithes, O Israel, understanding that it is a response of love, I want you to see what's going to happen. So we go to the source of blessing. Slide three, Joe. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven, pour out for you such blessing, there will not be room enough to receive it. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes, so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground, nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field, says the Lord of hosts. God says this, if you're doing this the right way, something amazing is going to happen. God, I will, God, I will keep on pouring out blessing after blessing and nothing less. Nothing less. Until that divine love runs over every part of our life and, and suddenly our hearts open up to him. Is this necessary financial? Probably not. But what it's saying is this, that there's this opening of the windows of heaven that will happen in your life in so many areas. You will begin to see who God really is and that love of God will start to be poured out upon you in an amazing way. Along with that opening of the windows of heaven, it was that the, that the, uh, the rebuker, uh, sorry, that he would rebuke the devourer. So in other words, the things that take away from your life, whatever it is, those little things that steal from you, he's saying, I'm going to rebuke that devourer. I'm going to take care of that. And what does that mean? It means that I will take away and prevent the usual harvest of those things. Whatever the devourer would like to do to you, whatever he would like to steal from you, God is going to rebuke them, rebuke the devourer. Before, in the book, it was talking about the punishment that the seed would be corrupted because they weren't obeying God and and trusting him and doing things in the right way. But here he's saying now, the thing that's going to be um, corrupted is the devourer himself. And number four, let's have a look at this. This is a beautiful thing. The result, and all nations will call you blessed, for you will be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. What's he saying here? He's saying, when my people return to me, 
the consensus of the nations around will be this. They're blessed. They wouldn't be able to deny the blessedness of these people. They would not be able to uh, deny the happiness of these people. Have we ever seen this? Either in the old covenant with Israel or the new covenant with Christians, I doubt we've ever seen it in its fullness. Where, where the world looks upon Christianity and their words are this, wow, they're blessed. Wow, they're happy. Wow, the land that they live in is delightful. That the positive image of Christianity upon the nations around would be that, wow, they have a good God. They serve a good God and he has done amazing things in their life. And I don't think that this has ever been realised and probably won't be until Christ comes back again. So knowing that, that there's these four things, what does that mean to us? Love underlies every dealing that Christ has with us and that's the attitude of God towards us. Each one of us here today, when God is dealing with you, underneath that, underlying that, the foundation of every single dealing that God has with, has with you is love. God says, I love you. God says, I love you. And that's why sometimes he doesn't rest from, from struggling with us when we're in sin or when we're going the wrong way. If there's a habit that's, that's taken hold of us, God won't leave it alone. And at times we become weary of his interference on our life, don't we? You're contending with God and it could be days, it could be weeks, it could be months and maybe even years and it might even get to that point where we decide we're going to rebel but God will not leave you where you are without contending for you because he loves you so much that there's change that needs to happen in your life and God won't let that lapse ever. So perhaps you're here today and, and you're like, I'm just so sick of God I'm so sick of him pointing out where I'm going wrong. I'm so sick because I don't want to obey. I just want to do my own thing. Let me tell you this. The reason he continues to contend with you is because he loves you. Otherwise, he'd just leave you alone. Do whatever you want. I don't care. But he does. So firstly, remember that, that underneath everything, there's this underlying love. Number two, there's a relationship between tithe and blessing. It's almost as if God's saying that I want you to open the window. I want you to open the window of heaven. Now we might say, well, this window itself, what does it mean? It means the opening of God towards you. And the windows of heaven always swing on the hinges of love. Always. Always. And we can't think as Christians just because now we're in the spiritual dispensation, that's the old thing, we're no, no longer bound in the matter of material giving. God says we're to bring the tithe still. But it's not the tithe that God is asking for, is it? But everything. God is saying, I want you to put yourself on the altar right now. You can make that proportional statement if you want. You might say, I'm going to give this amount, this percentage, whatever it might be. But, but really, in the Christ, as the Christian dispensation is greater than that of the old one, 
you have to first of all understand this, that, that it's built on love. Once you understand that, you'll understand the second thing. God's grace poured out upon you. The point that we want to come to, the point that God is asking us to come to as Christians, those of a new covenant that have been saved by grace, that have been set free from sin, that have been given the Holy Spirit to live a life of victory in this world, as Isaac pointed out before, that sin should have no power over you. The life of a Christian is this, that I surrender my interests. I surrender myself. I surrender my business. Everything. And this is what God is saying to us. When that happens, the windows of heaven are never shut. And there is that subtle connection between the tithe and the blessing. It's almost like sometimes we say, I'm going to bring part of myself for a sacrifice to God. We, we put that part of us on the altar of God and say, God, consume me with your fire. Come down, accept this beautiful sacrifice. And yet we're still waiting for that to happen. When Elijah built an altar, when he was battling the prophets of Baal, he put the, he put the sacrifice on, the full sacrifice, wet it down, everything in that. What happened? The fire came down and directly consumed that sacrifice, the whole sacrifice. And I would say God is saying to you, if you want those windows of heaven open, if you want the fire of God to fall down on your life and start to change things in your life, he's saying, stop pretending. Stop pretending that you're a Christian. Give everything to me. And then you will see the windows of heaven open in an amazing way. God always fulfills his promises and he said, test me now. If you bring everything of who you are, you will find that your, your life begins to change amazingly. And this whole, whole connection, the tithe, come in and the windows will open, applies to you individually. It applies to us as a church and even as a nation. But it starts with us. Have we put ourselves on that altar? When we do, the windows of heaven will open up and God will descend. When the church brings the tithe into the storehouse, honouring and acknowledging him, it sweeps away all those things that come against the remission, the holiness that we want. And we are saying this, only for your glory we exist. Only for your glory we exist. And then the blessings can be given over a church. Man's tithes, God's windows. It's not only that relationship between tithe and blessing, but between love and tithe. You see, the tithe will never reach the storehouse except in response to love. The mechanical religion and giving that way, the obligation always gets weary in season. And you know what, I could preach till I'm blue in the face up here and you know, sometimes we do ask for response in money and stuff like that, but I'll tell you right now, giving doesn't increase because you hear someone talk eloquently about it. Your generosity is not in response to those things. It's in response to the love of God. That's the secret of giving it. 
of giving the tithe and in turn opening up the windows of heaven over our lives. And you know, how can we love God though? Well, how can I love God? Only as we prove God in the path of obedience. I love God and in the proportion that I love him, I obey him. But we know that we all start out this way. I'm not really sure about who you are, God. I've just become a Christian and now I'm like, I know I've got to act in a certain way. Let me tell you this, that you just do that out of obedience. As you do it out of obedience, you will see that that has its blessing itself. Obedience has its own blessing. That as you obey God, what happens? You start to see things change in your life. I didn't know that God who made me and created me and made the universe and made the whole world actually knew what was best for me. I didn't know that God, if I acted his way, would bring peace to my life. But I I do it out of obedience. I'm I'm a little bit sure. I know God's forgiven me of my sin. I'm just going to start walking down that path in obedience. And I'm like, wait a minute. When I acted that way that God said to act, when when my heart was changed to what he wanted, I found out things worked out really well. Strange, isn't it? But there's a funny thing that happens. We go, no, I love you, God, so I'm going to obey you. And so I'm like, okay, God, I know that when I love you, I'll obey you, right? So I love when I obey, so the sign for Jesus, for God, and Jesus said it himself, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. That that he knows that if you love me, that's part of the response. But guess what happens? Suddenly I begin to love him better. And when I love, I begin to obey him. And then I see his love more revealed. Does that make sense? I'm obeying him because I know I love him, but now after I've obeyed him, I've seen how amazing he is and I love him more. And now that I love him more, I'm choosing to obey him willingly, not because in its obedience demanded of my life. But because I'm responding to the love of God, I'm loving him only because he first loved me. And it will give you a greater and greater revelation of who he is. And lastly, the delightsome land acknowledged by the nations. Wow. Saying, if you do this, if you're obedient, you bring that whole tide in, the tide that is bound in love, the nations will actually acknowledge God's goodness in you. Now, I would, I would hesitate to say that people see that in the church today, would you? I'm sure if you're walking around there and it doesn't seem to be that everyone's like, wow, the church is awesome. I'm so glad you said you're a Christian because I think Christians are amazing. I think, you know, the church is so fantastic. I think it's just showing me who God is. But people in general are sick of Christianity in a way, aren't they? They have wrong ideas of it, for sure. But imagine when the people of God begin to respond to that love and, and, and walk back to him And the world looks at them and says, this is what I see in them. That they are loving people. Imagine that. 
Imagine a church given over to the kingdom of Christ. Imagine a church not only given over to the kingdom of Christ, but now the kingship of Christ in their life, where Christ is actually their king, where they're obeying him and and living the way that he wanted and, and following his words. Don't you think the whole country would be impressed? I think they would. Maybe not at first, but as they begin to see the real life of Jesus flowing through, they would be impressed. And that, that's a beautiful thing, and you will probably notice that with people that you meet. Sometimes they're suspicious and, and worried about Christians because of the overall appearance. But they begin to know you, and they're like, well, actually, he's not such a bad guy. She's not such a bad lady. They're actually pretty nice. Well, actually, they're more than nice. They're amazing. I can see God working in them. What do I mean in that? When the church of God returns to the fullness of love. Let's have a look at that in Corinthians. Love that's patient and kind, not jealous or boastful or proud or rude, doesn't demand its own way, is not irritable and it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. A love that never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. And that, if God looked down on that, he would say, that is a delightful land. That is a delightful land. And, and it's as if we have this sleeping and slumbering group of Christians that if they were activated by the love of God and lived in the power of the Holy Spirit, things would change. See, God is brooding over it all, saying, I've loved you. Bring all the tithe into the storehouse. Prove me now, and I will open the windows of heaven. I'll just read that all out as one message. Starting from Malachi 3, verse 10. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing, there will not be room enough to receive it and I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field, says the Lord of hosts, and all nations will call you blessed. For you will be, you will be, do you notice that? A delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. Prove me, says God. One question remains for us. Who hears? Who hears this divine call of God? And then who will respond? Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your goodness. Lord, there is none like you. And this morning we just want to say thank you. Thank you that you first loved us so that we can respond in love. I just pray that we would remember that, Lord, and that our hearts would be in tune with you so that being loved we can love, we can live in love, we can can just dwell in love, Lord Jesus. We thank you for it now. Amen.
It may be that you've never even felt that love of God. Um, you're not a Christian. You've never invited Christ into your life. This morning, I just want to give you that opportunity to ask him in. Simple as this. I'll pray. You pray with me. What we're going to do is basically apologize to God, first of all, that we haven't loved him as he, he's loved us. We're sorry for what we've been doing, that we haven't been walking according to his word and what he wants in our life. And then we're just going to ask him to forgive us and set us free. If that's you today, you need that forgiveness of God. You, you feel that you've never known that touch of love from God. God's love has always been towards you and always will be towards you. But as Isaac said, you know, that, that seatbelt might be off, but you might not have walked into that. Today I'm just going to give you that morning, uh, sorry, the opportunity to respond to that and just pray with me. So if that's you, you just pray with me now and invite God in, eh? Father God, I thank you for your goodness. Um, yeah, I'm sorry that I haven't loved you or understood your love and, and given my life to you this morning. I, I would ask for the forgiveness of my sin. Lord, I just pray that you'll just set me free so that I can walk now on a path of life. I thank you that Jesus died for me, that he took my sin on the cross, and Lord, that he was buried and rose again so that I could live a new life. Come into my life today, I pray. From this day on, I want to live for you.